Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. and welcome along to this episode of La Liga Lowdown. As always, I'm your host, Jim McTeer, and we have a variety of guests coming up as we tell the story of Juan Roman Riquelme, perhaps the most number 10 of all number 10s in history. In part two, we'll be hearing from Daniel Williamson, who's written a book about Boca Juniors, and therefore he's written a lot about Riquelme. And we'll be hearing from Ray Hudson, the commentator who was the English language voice behind so many of the Argentine's iconic goals. First though, we start at the beginning. To tell us about Riquelme's first steps, here's Andrew Miller. Juan Roman Riquelme was born on the 24th of June 1978, around 12 miles north of Argentina's capital Buenos Aires in San Fernando as the eldest of 11 children. It just so happened that one day later, Argentina would go on to win the World Cup in the famous Estadio Monumental, just a short drive away from the very hospital that he lay as a newborn baby. As so many of football's biggest stars have done before him, Riquelme came from truly humble beginnings, growing up in grinding poverty to a father involved in a local gang and a mother who stayed home every day to take care of Riquelme and his siblings. After bouncing around various local amateur clubs in the area, Riquelme finally caught the attention of Argentinos juniors who offered the youngster a trial opportunity within the club's famous youth academy in La Paternal. The club quickly realised they had unearthed a rare gem of a player and began to lay the groundwork for moulding him into the central midfield role that he later became so synonymous with throughout his career. It was here that Riquelme had started to develop the reputation that led to some people within the Argentinian football community making this seemingly inevitable comparison to one, Diego Armando Maradona. The comparisons didn't stop there however. After a successful three years working his way up the youth ranks at Argentinos, Boca Juniors came calling with an $800,000 transfer offer to take Riquelme across the city to the famous Bombonera where he would feature for a short time in the under-20 squad before making his Primera debut at just 18 years old. Just two weeks later, Riquelme would go on to score his first senior goal for Boca in a 6-0 demolition of Huracan in true enganche style, which is an old Argentine nickname for an attacking midfielder or the emblematic number 10 as we all know it. You wouldn't have to search long to find a host of technically gifted footballers in South America, but the ability to truly influence the pace and flow of the game is a rare trait that made Riquelme so beloved by everyone around him, from the fans 
to his teammates and coaches that got to witness his greatness day in, day out. The next seven years would fly by in a whirlwind of success and international attention. Riquelme led Boca to three league titles and the club won the Copa Libertadores in back-to-back seasons, with the Argentine being named Player of the Competition in 2001 and overall Argentinian Player of the Year in both the 2000 and 2001 seasons. This type of success didn't go unnoticed, of course, naturally generating a frenzy of attention from some of Europe's biggest clubs. The likes of Fernando Redondo and Javier Zanetti had paved the way for incredibly technical midfielders to make the jump from Argentina's premier footballing competition to the globally renowned European stage, but perhaps no more than the man Riquelme found himself so often compared to in Diego Maradona. Yes, it was always inevitable that a player like Riquelme was going to be compared to Maradona, even more so when he'd played for Boca Juniors, and even more so when he made a move to Europe to join Maradona's old club, Barcelona. That was in the summer of 2002 that he moved to Catalonia, but he didn't arrive into the best environment. Here's Roman de Arquer to explain. Juan Román Riquelme was never meant to succeed at FC Barcelona. All the ingredients were in place for his first European challenge to go wrong. And it wasn't really his fault, but rather the toxic ecosystem he landed in. Let's not forget that he arrived in the 2002-2003 season, the same one in which Joan Gaspar ended up resigning as president of Barca after leading the club to a terrible economic crisis and to its worst season in decades. Barca barely had any money to spend and that year they only brought in four players while getting rid of nine. The Argentinian cost around 10 million euros and was supposed to be the star signing of that season after inheriting the number 10. Gaspar fought hard to bring him to Barcelona as he had a certain obsession with Riquelme's quality. So many Barca fans were keen on his arrival at the club, but not everyone wanted him there. Coach Luis Vangal had said wonderful things about Riquelme during his presentation, but the truth is he'd never agreed to his signing. Vangal wanted a left winger but got Riquelme instead, so that's why he decided to play him in that position despite knowing that he was much better as a playmaker. He was a very stubborn manager and wouldn't hesitate to bench a player if he wasn't complying with his orders. Riquelme would reveal years later that on this day of the presentation, after the press conference, Mangal called him in for a chat. He showed him a pile of videos stacked on his desk and told Riquelme, These are videos of you. You're the best player in the world with the ball at your feet, but when you don't have it, it's as if your team is playing with 10 men. Not the most encouraging words, but Riquelme at least valued that he was an honest manager. Unfortunately, as expected, things wouldn't be easy, and he'd barely start in 10 games while Vangal lasted at Barca. Hopes were renewed when Radomir Antic, who recently passed away, arrived in February 2003 as the new manager. Riquelme would get another chance to shine, or at least that's what he thought. Truth is, he was also starting often from the bench with Antic. Until March, when he began to feel important again. In his sixth consecutive game as a starter, he was brilliant again Racing de Santander, providing two assists and scoring one goal in a 6-1 win. Everyone was excited on the prospect of having recovered the Berrikelme for the remainder of the season. But the truth is, two matches later, he was back to the bench, barely counting for Antic in what was left of the season. Overall, he took part in 42 games at Barcelona, only starting in half of those. 
Ultimately, he never had a proper chance of integrating into the club, whether it was due to a lack of trust from the managers or his lack of charisma, which made it hard for the fans to bond with him. The next season with Frank Reichardt as a manager and Joan Laporta as president, the club signed Ronaldinho, who was set to become the new number 10. With this transfer, Barca exceeded the limit of foreign players allowed in the team, so Riquelme was the chosen one to make room for the Brazilian. He just missed out on one of Barca's best periods, but would make a name for himself at a club which could appreciate his style, such as Villarreal. So, Riquelme only lasted one season at Barcelona, but he's still remembered so fondly in Spanish football because of what he achieved at Villarreal. At the end of that disappointing 2002-2003 season, Riquelme was loaned out to El Madrigal for a two-year loan, and Villarreal even then bought him on a permanent transfer after that. In total, he spent three and a half seasons at Villarreal. To tell us about that time wearing yellow, here's Paco Pollitt. Villarreal knew that had signed a special player and the president, Fernando Roch, threw a big party for his presentation with over a thousand in attendance. Expert journalist and La Liga Lodon friend Javi Mata told the story about how Roman had just gotten off the plane and was sent to the hotel to quickly change his clothes, but the player asked for a bit of time to take a bath. Villarreal personnel couldn't believe it when the player slipped into his swimming gear and spent over an hour in the hotel swimming pool, making the presentation to be delayed a similar amount of time. Fernando Roch was definitely not a happy man that day. Even with his random actions here and there, Riquelme's first months in Villarreal were the ones of a player who suddenly had recovered his drive and happiness when playing. After a nightmarish debut season in Barca, he finally felt unleashed, brimming with freedom and confidence. Even though Villarreal was still a bit wobbly, bringing in Riquelme, strikers Sonny Anderson and Jose Mari, or defender Fabio Colocini, who later would play in the Premier League, kickstarted the building of a reliable team with solid foundations. However, something wasn't right with the relationship of the players with the coach, Benito Floro. In February 2004, he resigned as the manager and his last words weren't too kind towards the squad. He said, 60% of the players aren't motivated enough. Five players are reliable, but others are playing because they are needed and I have lost confidence in them. Regardless of the tensions between the players and Floro, Riquelme's transition year into Villarreal can be considered very successful, with 33 La Liga appearances, 8 goals and 4 more goals scored in the UEFA Cup. Paquito was the interim coach in the last 13 games that season, and Manuel Pellegrini was later signed as the manager in summer 2004. Under him, and thanks to the worthy additions of players such as Diego Forlan, who, by the way, is the main star of another La Liga Lowdown special podcast episode you can listen to whenever you want, Villarreal were ready to take yet another step towards becoming a European contender. Riquelme's personality was crucial towards understanding his game. Again, my friend Javi Mata, who has followed Villarreal games for the last 20 years, years, recalls that Ruben Graciacani, a former Riquelme teammate those years, always told a story about his mood during training sessions and friendly games. If Roman was smiling after touching the ball for the first time, his teammates knew they were in for a feast and would definitely win the game. On the other hand, if Riquelme was moody and gloomy, they knew they would lose 100%. The midfielder's eccentric personality would eventually be noticed in little details such as the fact that Villarreal's nutritionist could never ever get him to follow a proper diet. He loved drinking coke and good old delicious asados 
with plenty of meat, and nobody could get him to change his habits. But at the end of the day, he seemed to fit right in the squad, and Villarreal's 2004-2005 season was superb. They snatched a Champions League spot by ending in the third place, and Riquelme completed an excellent year, with 16 goals in 35 La Liga games, most of them from the penalty spot, and a rousing performance with a hat-trick against Valencia in the regional derby. The challenge would be even greater next season after getting past the qualifying round. Villarreal faced big teams in the Champions League such as Manchester United, Lille and Benfica, ending as the top seed in their group. They later beat Glasgow Rangers in the last 16 round and Inter Milan in the quarterfinals. Arsenal, with Thierry Henry as their leader, were the last team blocking Villarreal from making history by reaching a Champions League final. The away game took place in Highbury and Colo Toure tapped in the winner in the first half. That 1-0 would be enough for Arsenal after a dramatic second leg a few days later in Estadio El Madrigal, which by the way was packed that night. It was April 26, 2006. The drama would peak in the last minutes of the second half when Riquelme had the chance to score from the penalty spot and send the round into the extra time. Josemari was brought down by Gael Clichy and the whole village of Villarreal held their collective breaths in the 89th minute. But Arsenal's Jens Lehmann made one of the biggest saves of his career. Riquelme was the night from glory and Villarreal were out of the final. Riquelme que respira, Riquelme que le pega un vistazo furtivo a la escuadra, siete metros de carrera, Riquelme que corre, Riquelme que dispara, Lehmann evitó el tanto del Villarreal. That penalty was possibly Riquelme's most difficult moment in his career. Emotions were budding when, a couple of days later, Villarreal fans displayed a four-story high banner with the message Roman, estamos contigo. They had his back, and Riquelme, who isn't the most expressive guy around, by the way, was seen choking with emotion. That season, Villarreal ended 7th in La Liga, and slowly but steadily, the relationship between Roman and coach Manuel Pellegrini would eventually force the president and the board to choose between their star and their manager. They chose the latter. Riquelme's exit from Villarreal happened a few months later and was actually a quite messy deal. Even though the club has made his move permanent in 2005 for around 7 million euros plus 3 more in bonus, his four-year contract wasn't halfway yet when the player's moody attitude began making people uncomfortable. The clash of personalities kept boiling until it finally exploded in December 2006 with a big feud between coach and player. Since then, Riquelme didn't play a single minute with Villarreal. Boca Juniors, always alert for this type of bargains, pressed the issue with Riquelme's inner circle. And Villarreal gleefully accepted loaning the player to Argentina for six months because their priority was getting the locker room in check and to reinforce the position of the manager. It was February 7th, 2007 when the deal was closed and Riquelme went into the training grounds, said goodbye to his teammates, grabbed his personal stuff and left the country. He didn't say goodbye to Pellegrini, and it seems Pellegrini couldn't care less. That then was how Riquelme's Spanish adventure came to an end. He was heading back to Argentina, and we'll be discussing that part of his career in part two, coming up after this short break. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome back to this episode of La Liga Lowdown, all about Juan Roman McKelmy. We've heard about his La Liga years in part one, and now we're going to hear about his return to Argentina with Daniel Williamson and Ray Hudson. But first, let's hear from Matt Clark about the player's career with his national side and the highlights wearing the Albi Celeste shirt. Riquelme's first taste of international action was when he was called up to the youth squad by Jose Peckerman for the 1997 South American Youth Championships in Chile. Riquelme starred as Argentina won the tournament. This led to the FIFA World Youth Championships in the same year. He made his senior debut against Colombia in a qualifier for the 1998 World Cup, although he didn't make the squad for those finals. His first taste of senior tournament football was the 1999 Copa America where Argentina, now under Marcelo Bielsa, lost in the quarterfinals to old foes Brazil. After this, Riquelme was increasingly left out by Bielsa. He was omitted from the squads for the 2002 World Cup and the 2004 Copa America. It was the ultimate clash of styles. Riquelme became the symbol of the existential battle for the soul of Argentine football. The debate became more than whether he should be picked or not, but whether his inclusion necessitated a specific style of play. Old versus new, Languid elegance versus powerful athleticism. For Bielsa, the answer was a firm no. After Bielsa resigned in 2004, Peckerman was installed as head coach and instantly recalled Riquelme. Immediately, he began to build a team around Riquelme. BBC South American expert Tim Vickery remembers Riquelme's first game under Peckerman. The stadium rose to him and he took Uruguay apart with a magnificent display of passing football. The 2005 Confederations Cup also showed the benefits of building a team around Riquelme. Argentina were impressive as they reached the final where they faced Brazil. Alas, the reigning world champions were too much for this improving side, although Riquelme was awarded the silver ball, highlighting his valuable contribution. The World Cup in 2006 was a phenomenal tournament for Riquelme personally. He was influential in the famous goal scored in their 6-0 win over Serbia and Montenegro. His presence was clear throughout the 24-pass move. Then came the sliding doors moment. 
After another impressive performance against Germany in the quarterfinals, Riquelme was withdrawn on 72 minutes. Some suggest it was due to fitness, others suggest it was a tactical change, but either way, Argentina lost control of the game and with it their 1-0 advantage. Who knows what could have happened if Riquelme had stayed on and managed the game to the end. Riquelme announced his retirement from international football after the tournament. He cited his mother's ill health as the reason, but he also felt blamed for Argentina's exit and questioned whether he was valued highly enough. A year later though, he reversed this decision and was back in the groove under new coach and admirer Alfio Coco Basile. He was back home playing club football and the 2007 Copa America was another successful tournament for Riquelme individually. Riquelme was running the show and was leading the goal scoring charts for them with five prior to the final. But old foes Brazil were too strong once again and ran out 3-0 winners with Riquelme largely ineffectual. Basile stayed on and Riquelme continued to feature heavily in his plans as they began the qualification process for the 2010 World Cup. In the meantime, Riquelme was called upon to be one of the three overage players to represent the nation at the Beijing Olympics. Argentina boasted an impressive squad with Javier Mascherano alongside Riquelme, as well as exciting new stars Lionel Messi, Angel Di Maria and Sergio Aguero. With Riquelme leading the team both as captain and by dictating the play, they were a force, winning their group before beating the Netherlands in extra time. In the semis, they faced Brazil yet again, with painful defeats still fresh in Riquelme's mind. After Aguero's brace had given them a comfortable lead, Riquelme scored a penalty to seal it, and he had finally beaten Brazil in a tournament. Argentina went on to beat Nigeria in the final, and Riquelme claimed his first and only senior international honour. But during 2008, Argentina hit a sticky patch of form in their qualifying group, and with doubts and discontent rising, Basile resigned, citing personal reasons. The man to replace him was none other than Diego Maradona. But Riquelme, who had been loyal to Basile, was not as ecstatic as the rest of the country about this appointment. Maradona left Riquelme out of his first couple of squads and referred to his dip in club form, although he said he wanted him at the 2010 World Cup. Riquelme decided to retire again on a point of principle. So October 2008 was Riquelme's last appearance in an Argentina shirt. The 2-1 win over Uruguay in Basile's penultimate game as head coach. After the resignations and recriminations, 51 caps and 17 goals, Riquelme would never play international football again. So that's how Riquelme's international career started and finished. But he had success at club level long after he'd played his final match for his country. After his Villarreal spell, he returned to Argentina and, of course, he returned to Boca Juniors. It was in 2007 that he returned, doing so on loan from Villarreal, and he had an incredible loan spell. Following a brief return back to Villarreal, where he didn't play, he then went back to Boca Juniors in 2008 on a permanent transfer. And we're going to hear about this second stint now from Daniel Williamson, the author of Blue and Gold Passion, a book about Boca Juniors that's coming out later this year. Fans were obviously delighted when Riquelme returned to the club on loan from Villarreal in 2007. Um, he was a homegrown player, serial winner, you know, well on his way to becoming one of the club's biggest icons. Um, 
you know, the, the the level he's at now is that in most people's eyes, he is the club's number one icon, even ahead of Maradona. Um, when he returned in 20, 2007 on loan, um, he'd won already won five major honours with the club. He'd won a plethora of individual awards and he was only 27 and a half as well. So that's of, of an age really where he should physically still be perhaps playing in Europe. Many people would think still more than good enough to be playing in Europe and fortunately Boca benefited from his troubles with Pellegrini and, and Villarreal. When he returned on a permanent transfer at the beginning of January 2008, obviously again, once again, delight, I think a bit more a bit more uh, insurance as well because it was a permanent transfer. So, you know, the, the fans knew that they were going to have him over a prolonged period rather than just a, a short-term loan. Although Rick Elmay's second spell spanned seven years, it was definitely front-loaded in terms of success. The 2007 Copa Libertadores, when he was on loan, was was you know by far the highlight of his um, return spell. I recently interviewed an Argentine author who wrote a book about Rick Elmay, uh, you know the philosophy of his style of play, and he he compared Rick Elmay's performance in this tournament as uh, he compared it to Maradona in the World Cup in '86 in terms of dominance. Now, obviously. A World Cup spans a few weeks, whereas a cup competition like this will span four or five months. But the point still stands that Riquelme was by far the standout player. He scored in both legs of the last 16 against Velez. Uh, he scored in the second leg of, of the quarterfinal away against Libertad, Paraguayan team. Um, Boca lost the first leg of the semi-final against Cucuta, a really sort of small team from Colombia. Um, they brought them back to La Bombonera for the second leg and... It was a legendary night, foggy, you know, you could barely see the ball. Boca won 3-0, Riquelme was superb, he, he scored a free kick to open the scoring and then with about 10 minutes to go, he whipped in a corner that um, the Bataglia, sorry, Bataglia headed in the winner. So, he, you know, he really put his stamp on that one as well. And then it was the final against Gremio, which is the biggest margin in a Copa Libertadores final um, in history, 5-0 over two legs. 3-0 three, three the first leg in the Bombonera. Um, he scored a free kick. And um, in the second leg in Porto Alegre, he scored both goals. The The second one was a bit of a breakaway. Um, but the first one was one of the best goals I've ever seen. Bataglia, Riquelme, Bataglia, Ibarra. Toquetea Boca, señores. Pasa el tiempo y Boca va. Ibarra, Riquelme, Riquelme. And it really, for me, it encapsulated Riquelme, what he was all about. He, the, the Boca was sort of maintaining possession of the ball in the midfield and, and sort of moving into Gremio half. And he um, he was just looking for that pocket of space like all kind of good number 10 should do. You know, he was he, he picked up the ball a couple of times, passed it on and then moved on. And he just kept on looking for these pockets of space. And he finally picked the ball up on the corner of the 18-yard box. Really difficult position. And um, he basically lashed it right across the goalkeeper into the far top corner. Obviously, then he went back to Villarreal. He came back on a permanent transfer. And that's not to say that there weren't sort of moments of success in the rest of his spell. There were, of course. Um, he won two more league titles. He won the Recopa Sudamericana. He won the Copa Argentina. Um, he was voted the Argentinian Footballer of the Year in 2008 and 2011. So there were, there were moments as well. There were other successes um, and there were times when he showed his class as well. 
Um, even in, going into his last year, he was, especially at the Bombonera, he was still at the top of his game almost. He scored a, a really memorable free kick against River Plate. And even in his last game, home to Lanús, um, he performed a nutmeg without touching the ball. So, yeah, the the 2007 Copa Libertadores was the highlight, but there were other moments of success. And, you know, even even towards the end, 2014, when he, when he leaves, he is cemented himself as the biggest idol in the club's history ahead of Maradona um, and ahead of other more you know historical figures so there obviously were it obviously was um, a fruitful spell and you know the fans were delighted when you know recently he was he was part of the presidential campaign that, that won and and now he's the vice president stroke sporting director so great legacy with the club. It absolutely was a great legacy with Boca Juniors. It'll take something really special to be able to match what the number 10 achieved at La Bombonera. It was in 2014 that he played his final match in blue and gold, but he still had one final adventure before hanging up his boots. He returned to Argentinos Juniors, the club he'd started out with, and played six months there. In January of 2015, he was linked with Paraguayan side Cerro Porteño and almost signed a huge contract with them, before ultimately deciding that the time was right, that he'd played his final pass, that he'd given his final assist, that for the last time he'd made a stadium go click, 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 click from the fans standing up from their seats in anticipation. The Vakelmi playing days were over. As Daniel explained, he took up a boardroom role with the club, so he's still involved at Boca Juniors, but of course, it's what he did on the pitch that will be remembered. As we come towards the end of this podcast, We've got one final guest as we look back on Raquel May. We're going to hear from Ray Hudson about just how magisterial Raquel May was on the pitch. Raquel May from 27. Hey. It's there! Tucking it in to the near corner. It's Argentina 2 and Bolivia 0. Well, that's what you get for chasing rabbits. You get punished. Sublime hit by Romy. Brilliant, brilliant footballer of heavenly class. And this one is manna from heaven. So I'm joined on the line now by Ray Hudson, the man who has managed so well to describe so many of the indescribable Raquel May moments over the years. I know Raquel May has always been one of your all-time favourite players, Ray. So my main question for you is simply this. What is it that made Raquel May so special for you? everything um, that I uh, love in, in football. It's very difficult with uh, certain players to, 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 to look at them and think of why you like them. Um, you know, but with Raquel May, for me, he just personified everything I love in a player. The grace, uh, his vision, um, his overall effect on the team, it was so cerebral, you know, called the cerebral dictator. Um, and he, he just enchanted me so much from the first time I ever saw him at the Bombonera. Um, and I did not know too much of him at that, at that time. But within, literally within two minutes, after he had a couple of touches on the ball, I turned to Marcelo and just, who's this player? Who's the 10th? Um, and he, he said, that's wrong. That's Raquel me. 
there was other players that they passed as well. You and the, 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 those players that um, at, at Newcastle, there was a, a player called Jimmy Smith, Jinky Jim. He was the player I first fell in love with. And I remember Gordon Lee asking me, who was your favourite player? And I said, oh, Jim, Jimmy Smith, Jinky. And he looked at me like, how many goals did he score? How many times did he get in the box? It was like a beratement of it. But it was, it was that type of player with that languid motion about them. There's so many great aspects about his overall football, uh, Ewan. But it is always the element of surprise with Riquelme. That That's what, you know, that's what differentiates him from the, the, uh, the, the vast, vast majority of world-class footballers. You brought up stats there in that answer, Ray, and I think that's one of the main things with Riquelme. You can't sum up what he did in stats, can you? It's not about the number of goals or even the number of assists, is it? Sure, and it wasn't so. It wasn't as if he didn't chip in. I think he scored, you know, one in every three games or something like that. One in every three or four um, in his career, but so and his goals were just were works of art in themselves. But in this in this day of the the G stats or whatever they call them, um, that that's always going to to go against them. And all the critics have have their pot shots at him, you know. Um, because he could have, should have been um, in that in that pantheon of players um, that you, you, you talk about immediately when you talk about the greatest footballer that ever lived. Uh, Riquelme, for me, is is right there with Maradona and Leo Messi and Pelé. Um, and, and for the cynics to turn against him and say, "Yeah, but he didn't, he didn't win that much." He didn't. He didn't achieve altogether the, the highest pantheon, and that Argentina World Cup team that he was the conductor of, and how tragically he was he was betrayed uh, by Peckerman, um, and it was Peckerman who betrayed himself. A, a, a terrible, a terrible undoing of a of a magical team that could have could have well won that World Cup, but well even Germany. When it, when he got taken off, um, but either way, it, for me, it'll never fade the the clear buoyance of his football, the imaginative conducting of his team for, for Boca Juniors and for Argentina for Villarreal. I mean, this was a player who just charmed the birds of the trees with this, and it was it was such an artisan, you know. It, 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 I think part of it was that that personality that was ingrained in him uh, lent itself to he's an arrogant, he's a, he's a, he's, he's, he, he doesn't have that, that warmth of personality. I don't give a crap about that when, <laughs> whenever the ball was around him and how, how he would pull passes and size the greyhounds out of his hat um, and just burglarise teams with, with vision. I remember sitting here back in the old days when the Copa Libertadores and, and, and those games came through the television like it was you were looking through a snowstorm, through a piece of glass that was smeared with Vaseline. It, the, the images were so bad. Now we see it in, in, in ultra high definition. 
But that did, that it never took anything away from 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 this this this, this image that you had of this player who was nails above the others, nails above them, and it, it was as if he was gracing them just by being his friend. I'm not. People think I exaggerate when I talk about about uh, uh, Romy, uh, but for me, that's how much he was. I I, I am a, a romantic in many many ways, and I know that that number tens don't exist. And now the look that is luxuries and blah blah blah. But if you ever want to see a footballer, uh, an oracle of the game, um, you can't find a greater player than than Raquel me. Finally, Ray, is there one Raquel Me goal that you commentated on that really stands out? The, the, the one that he scored for Argentina uh, in, in a, a, it was a free kick. And again, um, I cannot remember who it was against. It was a World Cup qualifier, I believe. Um, and it was a stupendously magnificent catapult. Um, and Messi was over the ball as well, I think, at the time. And uh, Romy <laughs> and Messi deferred uh, to him, um, but that doesn't sum him up. Uh, a, a great goal, you know. You look at Leo's great goals or Diego's great goal against England. That's not that, that's not the sum of how you look at a player like like this that, like this man. You know, it, it was his whole heartbeat of the game. It was his whole this spookiness that he had when he had the ball and the, 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 the players would come in and around him and try to, to contain him and how he was so contemptuous of it most of the time. Um, but he never, he never endeared himself because of his personality. But for me, that was part of the whole attraction that he didn't need to do that. He didn't. He never needed to be that way. It's complete input and maestro, and you know, it's no, it's no. I'm not a religious man, you and, but it's no surprise to me that Romy and Messi were born on the same day. That was absolutely no accident. And if anything would ever have me believe in, it would be the divine providence that was put towards him saying, you know what, let's have another Raquel me. How about that? Another Argentina man that um, just absolutely steal the hearts and minds and souls of anybody that knows what football is really about and the likes of which we'll probably never, ever see again. Thanks, Ray. We appreciate the time and those memories. So that's all for this podcast on the life and times of Juan Roman Riquelme. I really hope you've enjoyed reminiscing along with us, with Andrew Miller, with Roman de Arcaire, with Paco Pollitt, with Matt Clark, with Daniel Williamson and with Ray Hudson. Remember, Daniel has a book coming out soon on Boca Juniors called Blue and Gold Passion. It's already available for pre-order, so check that out. Also be sure to pay a visit to our website, lalegallowdown.com, where we've got several interesting written pieces covering all sorts from the wild presidents of La Liga to Athletic Club's goalkeeping production line. For now, that's all from me, Ewan McTeer, and the rest of the pod squad. We'll be back with a new episode next week, and thanks for listening to this one.
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.